Welcome to Redemption Church Online. Thanks for tuning in with us. A couple things about what to expect the next few weeks as we kind of move into August now and start looking towards uh, fall kickoff time. Our plan right now, Lord willing, is to begin in-person weekly worship uh, starting September 13th. That's going to be our fall kickoff date. Uh, we have some options, temporary options of where we might be able to meet in the fall that we're looking into and, and we're making a decision on soon. Um, what that will look like, we'll be practicing some of the social distancing practices that uh, we implemented over the summer. And um, a lot of that will depend on where we're at in this region and what's going on. Um, kids' classes likely won't start on the 13th as we try Try to navigate through the COVID situation. But the great news is, is we are uh, moving towards returning to in-person weekly worship services. So looking forward to September 13th. That'll be fall kickoff. We're starting a new sermon series. We're going to be preaching through the Gospel of John this fall uh, and beyond. It'll take us longer than, than the fall to get through John. But uh, some pretty exciting stuff. We'll have more details with you, uh, more details for you in the very near future as we make some decisions on, on where and when that will be happening. But wanted to give you a heads up. Also, small groups will start that week. So we'll have at least a couple of in-person options for small groups and then also uh, a virtual option. So uh, like we did in the spring when we went to Zoom, for those who are not ready to, to get back together or can't get back together, or uh, one of the things we, we realized in the spring by offering a virtual option, we could include some of our college students and uh, people who just can't make the trip on a weeknight to get into a small group. I also should say that we'll continue streaming uh, our Sunday worship services or our weekend worship services online for those who cannot gather with us on Sunday. So all of the virtual stuff will continue, um, but we're going to be able to add some in-person options. And I can't wait. I know many of you have been really excited to get back together. So we're looking forward for the opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, for, t for this weekend, we're still in 1 Peter, and so I encourage you to open a Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. The message this weekend is titled, Strangers Live for Jesus, Not for This World. And I want to define a couple of those things, but let me read the text first, and then I'll explain what I mean by strangers live for Jesus, not for this world. 1 Peter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards." This is our text. And when I say live for Jesus, I simply mean live your life for the things of God. Live your life for the things that God uh, calls us to in his word. Live your life according to what you were created to be and to live a life that glorifies God, that embraces his plan and his will for your life. And one that is in contrast to what I'm calling living for this world. 
When I say living for this world, I, I simply mean everything that's contrary to God's will that the world does, that the world just partakes in and um, without really even thinking about it, carries on in the way that everybody else is leaving, living. In other words, it's a call to swim upstream, to be different, to stand out, to not just go uh, the natural path, but to go the way that Jesus uh, set the example for us in his life and ministry on the earth. So I, my hope today is to compel you, to encourage you, and to edify you, to exhort you to live for Jesus, not for the ways of this world. If you have a handout with you, or if you'd like to take notes, my outline is going to be fairly simple. I want to just give you some reasons to live for Jesus from this text. And so the first one is this, live for Jesus because Jesus lived for you. If we look back at verses one and two, it says this, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. We see here uh, this term, the flesh. The flesh means a couple of different things in Scripture. Sometimes it refers to our sinful nature. Sometimes it simply means exactly what it says, the flesh, these human bodies. We, we know and we believe as Christians that we are primarily spiritual beings that exist inside a physical body and that our spiritual being will inhabit a, a body in eternity, but it is our, our spiritual being that is, that is saved and is that transformed and renewed in Christ. And so when it says here in 1 Peter, in the flesh, that simply means your time on earth as you live in this body, as you live the way we currently know life to be. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, Jesus came and he did the same thing. He came, he lived on the earth in a human body and he did so and he suffered as he did it. And to suffer in this context seems to, to imply the idea of resisting the ways of the world, resisting the sinful desires of human nature, but instead to suffer by, by living for, as it says at the end of verse two, for God's will instead. So that's the contrast. There are two ways that we can live our lives. We can live and do what is natural to us and to the world around us and is also contrary to God's will, or we can choose to suffer, meaning we can choose to resist. We can choose to fight back. We can choose to, as, as it says here, arm ourselves with the same understanding that Jesus had, that when he came to, when he came to earth, he was prepared to suffer in the flesh. He was prepared to be uncomfortable. He was prepared to resist natural urges. He was prepared to resist the ways of the world and everyone around him. And we are to arm ourselves with the same understanding so that we can live not for the ways of this world, but for God's will. Live according to God's will. To do that, Peter says, we have to arm ourselves with the same understanding. We have to understand that in, in the Christian worldview, one of the key things that dictates our behavior is this idea that beliefs determine behavior. What you believe and what you think and what you choose to dwell on and the way you see the world will determine how you live out your life in the flesh. So there's this call to this mental work, this mental work of arming ourselves with this understanding to prepare ourselves to have a little bit of a self-talk here, a little pep talk with ourselves and say, you know what? This is the way the world is going. And this is the way that God is calling me to go. If I'm going to follow this, it's going to mean some suffering. 
it's going to mean some difficulty. It's going to mean it's not going to be the easiest thing to do. It's much easier to do this, even though the consequences of that are unbearable, it's still easier. And so we have to, we have to give ourselves a little pep talk. We have to be prepared mentally to suffer, prepared mentally to be uncomfortable in this world. This is what it means at the heart of First Peter to be strangers on the earth. That's what this whole sermon series has been about, that we're called to be different, to view this earth, this time that we live on this earth in these bodies as temporary. We don't, we're not permanent residents here. We're strangers on the earth. And so we're called to live for Jesus because Jesus lived for you. So here we are, we're living out our lives on the earth and we're without hope and we are without salvation if Christ does not come. So what Christ does is he, he leaves, he leaves his eternal dwelling uh, as part of the triune deity and he puts on flesh. He becomes a human being. It's impossible for us to understand the sacrifice that that meant to go from being God who has none of the restraints and none of the challenges and none of the frustrations of living in a human body on the earth and to embrace that role to come and, and incarnate himself to take on human flesh and to suffer in that flesh to give up temporarily all that he had as God in eternity and to enter into time and space and to become one of us. He did that for us at a time when we were hopeless, at a time when humanity uh, had no hope of overcoming the difficulties and the curse of this flesh. Jesus comes and he lived for you. He did that for you and he suffered. Of course, he, was, uh, he suffered physically he suffered mentally. He suffered in all the ways that we suffer and so many more. And he suffered on the cross by paying the price for our sins. Jesus lived for us in the flesh. He came to earth. He lived out an earthly life for you. So that's our first reason that we want to live for Jesus is because he did it first for us. And so we are to arm ourselves with this mentality. It says, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. You have to make a decision. Is it going to be sin or is it going to be live for Jesus? Are you going to live for the ways of the world? Or are you going to live for God's will? I want to encourage us to live for Jesus because Jesus lived for you. Next, live for Jesus because you've already spent enough time living for the world. I love this argument that Peter makes next. He says, live for Jesus because you've already spent enough time living for the world. In verse three, he says, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles here just simply seems to refer to any non-believers, non-Christians. So you've already spent enough time doing what non-Christians, non-believers choose to do. They carry on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry, the ways of the world, that we just pursue the desires of the flesh, that we just pursue what, what seems to come so naturally, but has such grave consequences. Peter says you've already spent enough time doing that. That's a convicting and convincing argument. I think we all could look at our lives and say, you know what, I've, I've done enough. I've done enough of that. I've lived enough time already contrary to living for God's will, living for the ways of this world. And it's time to live for God. 
I find that to be very convicting. Even as believers, you know, we, I don't want to paint a picture that any of us are going to do this perfectly 24-7 or do this perfectly for 24 seconds, but we're called to make it our aim to live for Jesus, not for this world. And in the midst of attempting to do that, we still struggle with sin and we still fall in and out of who we're called to be in terms of how we choose to live our lives. But we all should be able to agree, hey, whatever amount of time we've already spent living for the things of this world, that was enough. It was enough. Like if we spent 10 seconds living not for God's will, living not for Jesus, but living for this world, that was enough. I don't know about you, but I have years, years of living for the flesh, years of living for the world, years of pursuing the desires of the flesh. That's enough. I don't need any more. There's, there, there's, there's a great argument here that we've already spent enough time doing those things. Therefore, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Let's make it our goal, our aim to spend the rest of our lives living for Jesus, knowing that we've already wasted enough time. I've wasted enough of what God has given me. I've wasted enough of my earthly existence on things that are contrary to his word and contrary to his will. So live for Jesus because you've already spent enough time living for the world. Next, live for Jesus even though the world will reject you. This is important that we're prepared for this and that we understand this. And if you've been living for Jesus any amount of time, you've probably already experienced this. Verses 4 and 5 says, They are surprised that they here, meaning the Gentiles, the non-believers, those who are not living for Jesus, but who are living for the world. They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you, but they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Live for Jesus, even though the world will reject you, they'll be surprised and they will slander you. So don't be surprised by that. They'll be surprised that you don't do what they do, especially if you did once do what they do. This is very true. When someone becomes a Christ follower and begins to change how they're living their lives and their friends start to look at them. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but it certainly happened to me when I came to Christ as a teenager. My friends started looking at me surprised. And it wasn't long before their surprise led to slander. It wasn't long before they were mocking me and making fun of me. And, and, but, but it started with surprise. It always starts with, they're like, what's going on, man? Why aren't, you doing, why aren't you partying with us? Why aren't you doing the things that we do? This is like who we are and what we do. They're surprised. And then the slander comes. Oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks now. Or, oh, you know, whatever. They start to, they start to make jokes and kind of mock uh, the, the fact that you've decided to start living for Jesus. Don't be surprised at that. That's what is, we should expect to happen. The world is surprised that we don't do what they do and they'll slander Jesus prepared his disciples for this. In John 15, verses 18 through 21, he said to his disciples, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. They will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. Jesus makes it very clear. Hey, if they, Jesus is like, if they hated me, expect them to hate you. 
and if they hated me, why shouldn't they hate you? Do you deserve better than me? That's the argument that Jesus makes. Is the servant better than the master? <laughs> Is if, if they hated Jesus, we should expect that they're really going to hate us and, and not think that we deserve better than what Jesus received. He's aware of this. He prepares his disciples for this. And he wants them to understand this. Peter reinforces this. Peter experienced this. Peter was persecuted at times for being a Christ follower. And so he wants the, the, the Christians in Asia that he's writing to to understand this. Don't, don't be surprised because they're going to be surprised. And they're going to slander you. And they're going to talk bad about you. And some of them are going to try to trip you up. And some of them are going to try to get you to come along with them. And they're going to put pressure on you. And they're going to say, come on, man, just, just do what we used to do. Be ready to stand up to that. And be ready to live for Jesus. Because he lived for you. Because you've already spent enough time living for the world. And be ready to live for Jesus even though the world will reject you. But then he says in verse five, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And I wrestled with this verse. I'm like, is, is this supposed to be comfort to us that those who persecute us or those who slander us, that we will receive vindication because they will have to give an account before God and be judged? Or is this supposed to compel us that they need to hear the gospel? I mean, ultimately, as Christ followers, we shouldn't, we shouldn't necessarily want those I mean, we're, I think we're torn between two things, like wanting vindication, wanting those who have troubled us to be punished for what they've done, to be judged. But also we should have the compassion of Jesus, that we should love our enemies. And so I want to think about that for a second. If this is true, if those who, who are surprised and slander us, if the world around us who doesn't understand why we follow Jesus, why we live for Jesus and not for the world is going to stand and be judged before an eternal God, then we should want them to hear the gospel. All the more reason to live for Jesus. It's all the more re reason to live for Jesus, knowing that the world around us is going to be judged, that they need a savior just like we do, that they need, they need to hear the gospel and believe and trust in Jesus and begin living for Jesus too. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The, in Romans 10 here, we're called to deliver the message of the gospel not just a preacher like me who stands up and preaches on Sundays or whatever, but to be messengers of the gospel, to present the good news to the, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to be saved if they don't believe? The answer is they won't be. The world around you needs you to live for Jesus so that they have a witness to the gospel, so that they have a preacher so that they have somebody who lets them know that Jesus came, died for their sins, offers eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And if they don't repent, believe and trust in him, they'll stand before God and be judged for their sins. How are they going to know that message if you don't live for Jesus? How are they going to? This world needs Christians who are the real deal. I don't mean Christians who are perfect. 
I'm sick of perfect Christians because they're not real. They, the Christians who are perfect are Christians who are fake, who are pretending. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about somebody who never struggles with sin or, or every, somebody who appears to have it all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Christians who are the real deal, who are serious about living for Jesus and following him. It's their life's goal. It's their heart's desire to glorify God and to live for him and to not live for the world. Our world needs that witness. Our world needs that testimony, the testimony of a life that has lived in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should pray for those who are surprised that we don't follow them. We should pray for those who slander us because we don't follow them because they need a savior. I think I can think specifically, interestingly enough, as I was preparing uh, the sermon from this passage, and I thought about like, okay, when I first became a Christian, for whatever reason, I was just thinking back, back to then. Like when I first became a Christian, there were a couple of my friends in particular who were a little more slanderous than others. Like the ones that were really outspoken and really wanted to make a point uh, of challenging what I was doing and making a mockery of it. And I thank God that the two guys that came to mind that were, I'd say, the hardest on me during that season have both had an opportunity and both have had seasons, though their consistency hasn't been there, where they have embraced the gospel and began to follow Jesus. And they heard the gospel. And honestly, I mean, I'm not saying any of that had anything to do with me, but I look back and I thank God. I don't want them to die in their sins. I don't want them to be, I don't want them to be judged without Jesus as their Savior. All the more reason to live for Jesus. The world does not need Christians who look just like the world. It's pathetic. It doesn't help anybody. It's, it's, it makes a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the world needs is Christians who are the real deal, who are trying, though we, though we stumble and though we struggle every step of the way, who are trying to make, make the gospel look real and make the gospel look relevant in this world because God has shown up in our lives and he's saved us. And he's brought us, as the Bible says, from death to life. And so we want other people to have that experience. Live for Jesus, even though the world will reject you. And all the more so. Live for Jesus. And then the last point I want to make from this passage is this. Live for Jesus because heaven will be worth it. I love this one. I love where Peter goes next. This is what he says in verse 6 under live for Jesus because heaven will be worth it. He says in verse six, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead so that although they might be judged in the flesh, according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. This might be a little bit, um, I think we have to slow down and pick this apart to understand it. So let's look at it closely. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. So people who, uh, who heard the gospel but have since died, they're now dead, okay? So although they might be judged in the flesh, and remember in this passage, in the flesh means during our lives here on earth in these earthly bodies, okay? So while they lived... And, and judged according, uh, according to human standards in the flesh. So their lives were judged by the world. 
I think that's what this means. The, their lives and how they lived their lives were judged uh, um, by the world. And um, presumably the outcome of that was what we were told to expect in verses four and five, that the world was surprised and that the world slandered them. And so you have people who they heard the gospel, they lived their lives, and they were judged by the world. And the judgment by the world was that they were surprised and that they were slandered. But that's not the final judgment of our lives. That's a temporary judgment while we live in the flesh in this world. Because Peter goes on to say that they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. So according to human standards, they're judged by the world. And they're mocked, they're ridiculed, they might have even been persecuted, um, they're slandered. But, uh, but they're also judged according to God's standard. And when God judges them, because they heard the gospel and presumably received the gospel, they live in the Spirit. Not meaning the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit in, in the sense of the spiritual nature of our beings. And so in their flesh, they suffered, just as we're called to in verse 1, to suffer just like Christ suffered in the flesh. In the flesh, they didn't go along with the world, but they lived for Jesus, for God's will, and, and they, were, they were ridiculed and slandered, and people acted surprised. They were judged in the flesh, according to human standards, but now where are they? That's the point Peter's making. Where are they now? They're no longer here. They're, they are those who are now dead, as it says in the beginning of verse 6. We should, we do well to stop, to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who have already gone on before us and what their life is like now. It should give us great encouragement and comfort and it should be, um, it should motivate us to live for Jesus now because it puts this life in perspective of eternity. Those who have gone on before us, they've already done their time of suffering in the flesh. That's over now. It's behind them. Now they're living in the spirit. They're living according to God's standards. See, they're living according to the gospel God's standards are his mercy is displayed in the gospel through Jesus Christ. And they have eternal life. They're experiencing the glory of that eternal life now because they were willing to suffer in the flesh. And so we're called to do the same, to live for Jesus because heaven will be worth it. Heaven's going to be worth it when we put this life in perspective of eternity. It doesn't even begin to compare I mean, the, 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 the minute amount of time that we're going to spend in the flesh, according to 1 Peter here, the, the, this unbelievably small amount of time in reference to eternity that we spend here on the earth, we ought to live it for Jesus because heaven is our reward. We will not always be judged in the flesh according to the world's standards. We will be judged in this, that we will live in the spirit according to God's standards. That's unbelievable motivation. I love what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Let me read this passage. He says, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? 
run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Here's what Paul's doing. He's pulling on the example that everybody would have been familiar with then, just as I assume most of uh, our listeners here would be familiar with today, the example of athletes who compete, who compete at a high level. What do you have to do to compete as an athlete at a high level? You discipline yourself. You live your life according to a particular plan. And that plan is always in, uh, it's in opposition to the way that most people around you are living. Take any, any athletic sport that requires um, physical performance, right? And to succeed at the highest levels of that sport, to be a winner, as he says here, uh, the ones that compete to win the prize, uh, to be a professional athlete, you have to live your life differently than the rest of the world. Now, it varies from sport to sport, but in, in, in general, uh, these men and women who are professional athletes, they don't live like us. They don't, they, they're not like me. They don't like s- sit on the couch at night, turn Netflix on and pound out half a bag of potato chips. They're living differently. They're disciplining themselves. They're, they're suffering in the flesh, if you will. They're, they're resisting natural desires. They're, they have a plan. They have a goal in mind. Their goal is to win at a sport. And because of that, they live their lives differently. Think of these, I've been thinking several times throughout the COVID experience, I've thought about all the Olympic athletes who literally their whole lives have prepared for and trained for. They've made sacrifices. They've disciplined themselves. They did not do the things that their peers have done for the last 15 to 20 years of their lives. They've lived life differently to get to this place where they could compete for a, what Paul refers to in this text as a perishable crown, a gold or a silver or a bronze medal. And I've thought about the disappointment that so many of them must be facing today, that they've worked their whole lives to get to this point only to have the Olympics canceled by COVID. For many of them, that window is closing and won't be, won't be open for them in four years, either because physically they, they're, they're peak, they've already peaked or for other reasons, they won't be, they've lost that dream. They've given everything they've had their whole lives for a dream that they can no longer pursue. Paul says, listen, think about athletes. They compete, they discipline themselves. They live life differently to get something that's perishable. We pursue an imperishable crown. How much more so is is the point here? How much more so should we be willing to live differently, to resist human desires and to resist the ways of this world and to, to resist living like everybody else around us, to discipline ourselves in a spiritual way, in a spiritual manner, to compete for this imperishable crown? You can't compare perishable versus imperishable. One is just so much better than the others. And that's what we're called to. We're called to live for Jesus because heaven will be worth it. You and I, we, we run a race where when we finish, our reward is eternal. 
It never expires. It doesn't fade. It, it doesn't go away. It's eternal. Live for Jesus in light of that. Think about your brothers and sisters in Christ who have already finished the race, who have competed. They've disciplined themselves. They lived for the gospel. Now they're receiving their reward. Live for Jesus because he lived for you. Live for Jesus because you've already spent enough time living for the world. Live for Jesus even though the world will reject you. And live for Jesus because heaven will be worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to have this, this vision of our lives as an opportunity to, to go a different way than this world. To live for the things that will last forever. Everybody around us is, is living for temporary things. It's, it's, it's about making money to do this or to do that or to have this or to have that and all of these things that, that just won't even last into eternity. Help us to be different. Help us to be a witness to the gospel, to this drowning world around us. Help us to live our lives for Jesus and not for this world so that they might see the truth of the gospel displayed in our lives. Help us to think about what it would be like to, to no longer be on this earth, but to be in eternity and to be motivated by that. Help us to think about those who have already crossed that finish line and to be motivated by that. Help us to think about what you did when you came and you lived for us. Help us to mourn over the, the ridiculous amount of time that we've already spent living for the things of this world. And Jesus, help us make every day count as we live for you not for this world, knowing that we'll do this so imperfectly, knowing that we will require along the way an infinite amount of grace, but never giving up on that goal, never, never wavering from that aim and that desire to live our lives for you. And Jesus, if there's anybody listening today who needs to begin that journey of living for you by trusting in you for salvation and receiving your gift of eternal life today, I pray that they would do that as we speak and that they would receive you into their lives to be their Lord and Savior and to begin following you. Thank you for all the love that you've displayed for us, the patience that you've shown us as we try to get better at living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks again for tuning in. Hope you join us next week. Um, we're going to have, um, well, the next couple of weeks, I won't ruin the surprise, but we have a couple of different guys that are going to preach, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, them take First Peter and uh, bring that to us. So join us next week, and really looking forward to September 13th when we can gather together. Uh, but let's finish the summer strong. Let's not grow weary, and uh, let's be ready to roll uh, come fall kickoff time here in September. Thanks. Let's uh, worship together before we close.